0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Let's pray together today. Father, how grateful we are for your amazing, astounding grace. We have sang about and been reminded this morning of just how good you are and gracious. And the topic that we have before us today as we continue looking at this series on the Reformation is grace. God, I've been reminded of my weakness even as I stand here today fighting this head cold and sickness. Looking at this subject that is so encompassing, so incredible, so daunting, this task of bringing for Your people a message of grace. Father, in my weakness, I am confident that Your grace will cover me. Father, in our weakness as we struggle to listen, struggle to hear, struggle to pay attention, Father, we need You this moment to teach us full obedience from Your Word and take our hearts and mend them to Yours so that we, Lord God, can be all that You desire us to be. This time of preaching, our Father, we give to You, asking You to conform in us the image that delights in you, the image of your Son, Jesus. Do this according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we all pray. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, if I were to say, what is the greatest theme of the Bible? What would you say? What's the greatest theme of the Bible? Some might say love. But love is not the greatest theme of. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher, I thought that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't it say something, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love? Well, yes, it does say that. It says there remain faith, hope, and love, and then listen closely, it says the greatest of these is love. So the greatest of faith, hope, and love, out of those, love is the greatest. But there is a theme that is motivated by love that I believe takes the spot of the greatest theme of the Bible. We've been singing about it all morning, so it shouldn't be as a surprise to you. The greatest theme in the Bible, I believe, is grace. Grace. God's grace. You know, that grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Oh, friends, His grace is greater than all of our sin. Now, we're right in the middle of our five week series celebrating the five truths of the Reformation, the five solas, the five onlys that they detail this gospel of grace. And it's perfect that. Here we are right in the heart of it, and at the heart of the 5 solar series is this wonderful truth that we get to explore today called grace. And so what I've done is I have given you a sentence to help us remember these truths of the Reformation, and it's up on the screen for you, but let's read it together. Salvation, Uh, let's, let's try that again, let's start. Salvation, our only hope in life and death, according to Scripture, is through Christ alone by grace alone, through faith alone, to God's glory alone. Now today, this is the third week, and of course we see the progression there. We are at the third week, and so we're looking at this wonderful five-letter word, this word that makes all the difference. and That is the word grace. But what on earth do we mean when we say grace alone or only grace? grace. Listen to me carefully. This is the definition for us. Grace alone, salvation from beginning to end, is solely a work of God. Grace alone means that salvation from beginning to end is solely a work of God. A key scripture that comes from that, of course, is Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It's in the front of your bulletin. If you want to read it there or you can read it on the screen here. For by grace, everything's undergirded with grace. Listen to it again. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I like the way that Carl Truman puts it in his book called Grace Alone in the five-solar series that Zondervan just published this year to celebrate the 500th anniversary. Carl Truman, he puts it this way. Listen to what he says. Grace is the heart of the Christian gospel. It is the doctrine. It is a doctrine that touches the very depths of human existence because it not only reveals to us the very heart of God, but draws us back into that precious communion with Him that was so tragically lost at the fall. It is a doctrine that touches the very depths of human existence because it not only reveals to us the very heart of God, but draws us back into that precious communion with Him that was so tragically lost at the fall. I may get a little excited today, even though I'm fighting this head cold. I, I may get a little excited because grace is amazing. You'll have to stop me if I get too excited because I get hot up here and, you know, I'll cough. But grace is so amazing. It's, it's unbelievable that God would lovingly and freely choose to favor you. Just because. You say, why did God save me, Pastor? He wanted to. That's it. It's not because He knew that you'd turn out to be Johnny Good or Johnny Bad or whatever the case may be. He knew that He just wanted to save you. And so for His own choice, for his reasons that are only known to Him in His divine economy, He chose to freely favor you. You know what that's called? Amazing grace. Grace is everything for us. Grace means that God chose us before creation, as Amanda just read so beautifully this morning from Ephesians 1. And by the way, Amanda, there you are. You read that very well in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. That's one long sentence in the Greek. That's why I couldn't break it up. That's why I had to read so much. Thank you for doing that. Because it is one long sentence. And in that one long sentence, Paul is astounded by God's amazing grace. Grace means that God chose us before creation. By the grace of God, Christ went to the cross to die for us. God saves us, seals us, and sets us apart for Himself, all on account and because of grace. Now it's amazing to me that when we talk about grace in such tremendous terms of God, Seeking us and saving us and sealing us before we knew ourselves or knew anything else before he laid the foundation of the world. When, when we talk about how these amazing tones of grace, people wanna, they wanna take the amazing out of grace. They wanna try to nail it down in some fine detail and resolve themselves of some mystery. And listen to me carefully. I know that you probably have a thousand questions about grace. I mean, those questions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and all of, I know there's a thousand. I probably have a thousand and one. If you have a thousand, I probably have a thousand and one. Maybe you got a thousand and two. I don't know. We're not going to compete this morning. That's not grace. Anyway, God is amazing in His grace. And so what I want to do is I want to put amazing back into grace. I know that there are a thousand questions, but here's what I want us to do. I want us to just let go for just a moment and let the Word of God wash over us for what it says. Let's not jump over it, jump around it. Let's just let it say what it says. Let go and fall into God's amazing grace. Nothing, beloved, is more encouraging than grace. Grace tells us that God has sought us, bought us, and made us His very own. We were lost, depraved, darkened, better yet, dead. But God came after us. He came seeking and saving us. We were unlovable. God loved us. Here's the amazing part of grace. Listen to me carefully. I'm taking this from what Amanda read this morning in Ephesians 1. Before God created dust. He knew you and He loved you. You say, explain that to me. I can't. I can just simply tell you what the Bible says. That you were predestined and foreknown before the foundation of the world. You know what that means? It means that before God created dust, He knew you and He loved you. Now, there is no greater comfort to me than to know that before God created everything, He knew me. The psalmist knew this, and he delighted in God's free choice to love us when he said, listen to what he says in Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet, when as yet there was none. God's known you before He created, before your days were. He knew. He knows how many hairs are on the top of your head. He knew how many fell out in the shower this morning. He knows everything about you. And here's the beautiful part for me. He loves me anyway. Do you see the comfort that this gives? To know that when you go out at night and look at the stars, that God not only knows how many stars there are, He He's the one that put them there. He's the one that named them. He's the one that causes them to shine. He knows that you're looking at them. And the one who told the stars to shine in the night sky, that one, He knows your name. He knows you're coming forth. He knows you're going out. He knows every day that you have on this world. And here's the beautiful thing. This God who told the stars how to shine, who knows your name, he's always known your name. He's always known your name. There is no greater comfort for you and me in this world other than grace. Now, I want you to take your Bible this morning and I want you to join me in 1st Peter and you'll see something when you get over there to 1st Peter, 1st Peter opens his letter with grace. Peter knows that there's no greater comfort than grace, and he opens his letter to the churches with grace. And so you'll find that in the first chapter of Peter, you say, "Now, why are we going to the first chapter of Peter? What are we doing here?" What I want to do in this series is I want to teach the five solas to you from the writings of Peter. So here's what we did in the first, and this wasn't decided until after the first week. So the first week we did scripture alone, and we looked at scripture, and I began to thinking, okay. I was going to go from Scripture, from Peter, I was going to go to Ephesians, Galatians, and Romans, and all the rest, and I thought, hey, just a minute, I wonder if we can find all of these doctrines, these five solas, I wonder if we can find them all in Peter. And guess what? We can. So what I want to do today is look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5 for our purposes today. Now, I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, because just like what Amanda read this morning... This is just one long sentence in the Greek. Peter is continuing this thought that he begins in verse 3, and he carries that thought all the way down into verse 12. Now, I'm going to come back next week to look at more of it, but I want to focus on 3 through 5 today, and I want to teach this subject to you. I want to teach you amazing grace. Not the song, but where the song came from. So there are many places that we could go. Teach the doctrine of grace alone, but today I want to do my best as your pastor who's committed to the authority of the Bible to show you that these truths rise from the text and not something that I'm having in my mind imposing upon the text, if that makes sense. So the authority here is not the pastor in his imagination. The authority here at Oxford Baptist Church is God's word alone. So this is why I'm preaching the way that I'm preaching. So let's read the Bible. Let's hear the word of the Lord from first Peter. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And listen for grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, Though you do not see Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully Now, there are two major truths that I want to show you from this text that highlight God's amazing grace. And I hope you have a pen. I hope you're going to write these down. Number one, grace is a gift of God. As we said, 3 through 12 is one long sentence in the Greek, but in verse 3, it's it's beautiful. Because verse 3, Peter begins with the theme of the entire paragraph. We bless God. Look at what he says. This is the theme in verse 3. We bless God because of the salvation that He has given to us. Now, I want you to highlight maybe the phrase, at least in your mind, and maybe in your Bible too, if you like writing in your Bible, highlight the phrase, given to us. Grace is a gift of God. Now, look at the text. Look at the language of the text. Look at what it says. God has caused us to be born again. Do you see that there? God has caused us to be born again. You know what this tells me? And it tells us salvation is all of God. If you're saved this morning, here's what it means. It means that you are the recipient of God's amazing grace. Let's think about that phrase for just a minute. First, why do we use even a term like save? Isn't it sort of strange language? Why do we even talk about that? Salvation is all of God. Let's let's just take that for just a moment. And I don't want to take for granted that everyone understands that language. Because I had a friend in in college who used to wonder why we use terms like save, and he was wondering why we used a term like save. What does the term salvation imply? Well, it implies what Peter says here. It implies that we were dead in sin and in need of life. It implies that we were dead, and that was something that we needed more than anything else. That's life. Now let's let's do a little exercise this morning. Can you think of anything greater than a person that is dead that needs than life? Is there anything better that that person needs? Does he need me to uh, give him you know money? Maybe some cough medicine. No, he doesn't need any of those. None of those things will do any good, right? If a person is dead, the greatest need that they have is life. Matter of fact, a person can't do anything until they have life. Now, then, that begs a question: Who on earth has the power to give life? The same one who raised Jesus from the dead has the power to give life, and he demonstrated His power when the Son died three days later. The Son was raised to life. Jesus was in the tomb. He was really dead. He wasn't half dead or sort of dead. He was all the way dead. If you were crucified by the Romans, then you died. That's what crucifixion means. It means death. It's a death sentence. And so Jesus was in the tomb, dead, and all of a sudden from death He came back to life. This is why we use the term saved. Because the greatest need of humanity is salvation. The greatest need that you and I have is life. We need to be saved from death. And the only one who can save us from death is the one who has the power to give life. And the way that He gives life to us is by God's direct intervention on our behalf. He directly intervenes in us and through us. And the language that the Bible uses to refer to God's direct intervention is right here in verse 3. He causes us to be born again. Now why does He cause us? Because we're incapable. Dead. Not half dead. Not sort of alive. We are dead. And God has to act because we are incapable of acting on ourselves. So what does He do? He causes us to be born again. Now that's another one of those phrases, right? Sort of strange. Born again. What on earth does that mean? You know, like the old country preachers used to ask you, have you been born again? What does that mean? Born again. Born again. Well, Jesus reintroduced the phrase in the New Testament to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus by night and he has a conversation and Jesus tells him. He says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's what Jesus said. Nicodemus, so Nicodemus comes and says, we know that you're a man from God. How can you not be unless you do all these things? Jesus sort of interrupts him and says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the issue. He says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus interprets that thinking that he was referring to natural birth. Born again, okay, so you want me, and he's being a little sarcastic here, you want me to enter my mother's womb a second time. He says, Jesus, that's ridiculous. How can someone enter the mother's womb for the second time? And see, here Nicodemus was. He's coming at this like a Pharisee. He wanted to know what he could do. He wanted to know how he could accomplish it. He wanted to know how he could do it. But listen to how he responds to Jesus in John 3, 4. Listen to what he says. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the womb a second time and be born? But listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, this is important. Jesus wouldn't have meant that it was important unless he said, Truly, truly. That means pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, it's flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born the Spirit of God. You know what Jesus just did there? He just grounded salvation in mystery. He said salvation is as mysterious as the wind blowing. You can hear the sound of it. You can look over there and see the tree moving, but you don't know where it goes. I had an uncle that they used to make bets on which way the wind was going to blow. That's probably why we lost all our money, but anyway, that's another story for another day. You don't know which way the wind's going to blow. It just blows. Jesus takes Nicodemus, who is so confounded by things that he sees, and he takes him into the realm of the unknown. He grounded being born again in the miraculous gift of God, not in the work of man. Salvation is all God. This is why grace is amazing. Jesus continues to talk to Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Nicodemus said to Him, How can these things be? And Jesus, I love His answer to Nicodemus. He said, You're a, you're a teacher of Israel. You've been credentialed by the school of the Pharisees, and yet you are telling other people in a congregation, You don't know these things? This language of new birth, if you read the Old Testament, it's the hope of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the Psalms. They're all hoping for a day when God will come and do something new into the hearts of His people. And so what does Peter do? Then Peter comes and he he looks at his audience. who They're troubled by so many things. And he tells them that they are the recipients of new birth. Oh, believer... And the Word of God is for you this morning. You are the recipients of new birth. The grace of God has come to you, has reached you right where you are. saved you. Not as a result of any of your works or so that you can boast, but all because God freely chose to do it. And I love this language in the Bible. We really can't do any better than the language of the Bible It uses birth to describe salvation. Isn't that perfect? It uses birth to describe salvation. And and here's where the mystery comes. And so many of us aren't willing to just delight in the mystery, just to fall into the arms of God's amazing grace. But God wants us to be amazed by grace. He wants us to have our jaws drop and left speechless. And let me ask you a question. You come and consult your mom and dad, and you say, you know, I want to be born at this time. I'm sure that my son, if he could have talked to us, you know, don't let me be born in the middle of a a ice storm. Come on. Maybe some of you would have said, listen, mom, dad, if you're going to name me something, don't name me this. My dad's name is Alfred. He he can't stand that name, all right? So when he comes and visits, say, How are you, Mr. Alfred? No, don't do that, really. He doesn't like that. He he can't stand the name Alfred. I used to think that I was Batman, you know, it, it just fit my initials T A B backwards or Bat. We had a black car, I had a mask. Anyway, long story I won't get into that. I'm chasing a rabbit now. But anyway, my dad hates the name Alfred. He can't stand it. If he would have come up and talked to his dad, whose name was George, and his mother, whose name was Isabel, you know. George and Isabel, that's how I probably would address them, you know, don't name me Alfred. But you see how absurd that is? None of us had anything to do with being born. You can't take any credit for being born. You just sort of got here. Now there's more to the story, but we'll just keep it as that. That's how you got here. And listen, the same is true for being born again. You and I cannot take any credit for being born again. I know that some like to think that you can, but you can't. It's antithetical to the word being born again. That's why the language is so perfect. We didn't have anything to do with our natural birth. We don't have anything to do with being born again. It was all in the mind of someone else. Just as you got here because of the mind of your mom and dad, you got here being born again because the Trinity decided to save. The consultation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. said, you know what? Let's create Andy and let's save him. Set him apart for ourselves. So that he can delight in us. Why is it so important for us to emphasize this? You know why? We emphasize this so that God gets the glory. How does verse 3 begin? It begins, praise. doxa. In the Greek, blessed! It begins by this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so important for me to emphasize this time and time and time again? So that God can get all the glory. Not some of the glory, yeah, He helped me here. No, He gets all the glory. God is the author of your salvation. That's what Hebrews says. He who... Began a good work in you. He's going to see it through. Now, did you hear that? God is the author of salvation. Now listen, salvation is for us, but salvation was not by us. We aren't by in salvation. We are the recipients of salvation. And listen, the giver of the gifts, he gets all the glory. The giver of the gifts gets all the glory. Now listen, he gets all the glory, but look at what he gives grace and it's by his grace that we're saved Augustine said it like this to praise you is the desire of man a little piece of your creation you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our hearts, are restless until they rest in you. But perhaps no one sums it up better than Paul did in Romans 11. Romans 9 and 11, right? It's that passage that I've never preached from because I'm intimidated by them. Although it won't be my whole life story, stick around. We'll get there. Those passages in Romans 9 through 11 are those passages that make some of us who aren't delighting in grace uncomfortable because there's so much mystery in Romans 9-11. through But there's so much glory as well. Paul's talking about grace to the Romans and he's talking about God's free choice to be gracious to some. God's choice to save some and, and not all. And that's where we sort of get uncomfortable with this. But here's how Paul chooses and closes his thoughts on the subject. Listen to what he says. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. Now listen to what he says next. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus about the Spirit and the wind blowing. You don't know where it goes. Listen to what Paul says next. And he's quoting Scripture here. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has given a gift to Him that He may be repaid? For from Him and through him and to him are all things and then listen to what he says next to him be glory forever amen now listen i know many of us have questions about that and that's okay if we do we're in good company because look at verse 12 even angels have questions look at that i love this is the reason i wanted to read verse 12 is because it says Things into which angels long to look. But instead of coming with questions, let's focus on what we know. You know what we know? We know that grace is a gift of God. And You know what that means? Number two, through grace, God gives us all things. I'm trying to communicate this to you. Grace is both the gift as well as the way that the gift comes to us. Grace is both the gift and the avenue His grace comes to us. Grace is this wonderful language that God has given to us to encompass this amazing fact that we who are undeserving have received what we didn't deserve. Now there's two things there. The fact that we receive anything first and then the fact that we receive something. The fact that we receive anything first, and second, the what we receive. It's all on account of grace. It's all so that at the end of the day, we can look at what God has given us and rightly say, to God be the glory, great things He has done. It's all so that He gets all the glory. Now, there are three terms that are often found in company together in Scripture. Grace, mercy, and peace. And they're here in Peter. We'll have to go back to the last part of verse 2 to see them. Go back in with your finger there and with your eyes. Look at that. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, sprinkling with His blood. Now listen to what he says. You see, here's the triumvirate. Here they come. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then in verse 3, we get down there and we see, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Chuck Swindoll said this about each of them. He said, grace is God's gift to the worthless. Mercy is God's ministry to the helpless. and Peace is God's love to the restless. All of that flows down a single avenue. You know what the avenue is? Grace. Apart from the grace of God, there'd be no reason for mercy. Apart from the grace of God, there'd be no reason for peace. And Peter... He chose these terms on purpose. Peter's writing to a group of believers who through their circumstances they have not been allowed to become too comfortable with the world. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, I'm an apostle but you are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Scattered in areas like Pontius Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Benthia. Now they're scattered and here's what he says. He says, you are exiles. You know what he says to them? He, he's letting this church know that they are elect exiles, but they are sojourners and strangers in the world. They are pilgrims making a progress to a celestial city. So... They're facing all of these difficult circumstances and He doesn't want them to be captivated by hopelessness. Instead, He wants them to be amazed by grace. Look at what He says. Let's, let's read 1 through 5 together. Look, look at the Bible. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Benthia. according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification kept in you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you hear it? Did you hear the way that He's comforting these people? He says, Jesus is alive. Because He's alive, we now have life. We have an inheritance. But not just any life, and not just any inheritance. We have a life that has been given to us and we have an inheritance that is kept and unspoilable? That's what he says. Maybe maybe if we read a paraphrase, maybe it will help us hear it a little better. And I like the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Listen to what he says. Maybe you'll hear it better this way. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus, the Messiah, riding to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing. Not one is forgotten. God the Father has His eye on each of you and has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. What a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have Him This Father of our Master, Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life healed and whole. I want you to look at how the verses end for just a moment. Look at verse 5. Peter ends this section by reminding us in our present situation of our future hope. We have this hope to carry us all along the way. And you know what it's all grounded in? It's all grounded in God's amazing grace. Look at verse 5. God's power saves us from beginning all the way to the end. And guess what? Everywhere in between. So then that asks us this question. With this grace that carries us through life, How on earth are we supposed to live now? We live this life filled with grace and faith. But that takes us too far for this time. We'll save that for next week. For now, let's learn together to delight in grace. Grace. God's grace. This grace that is greater than all of our sin. Would you pray with me this morning? My Father, we are so grateful that You have bestowed freely on us Your amazing, astounding grace. Oh, Lord, this is a gift. It's a gift that You freely give. And it's a gift that You enable us to receive. So Father, if there's one here today or more that they are not amazed by Your grace, they are not the recipients of Your grace, would You, Lord God, save them? Right where they are, as they sit there and listen, would You give them the strength that they need to cry out to You as as they know that they're not saved? That they've not been born again. They don't love. God, but they want to. Father, through that wanting that you enable, would you save them? Would they call upon your name, Lord, and you pour on their hearts so battered and bruised and dark the very life of Jesus? Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.